Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics and emerging issues. I'm your host, Carly McMoore, and together with the AJP, I'm bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like and rate each episode and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. In this podcast, Shafali discusses her early career pharmacist experience and working in a niche area, as well as her work with the PSA and other committees and how she tries to balance work and life. Thanks, Shafali, for joining me today. Um, can I ask you to give an introduction for yourself, please? Yes. Hello, Colleen. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, so I'm Shafali and I'm currently a hospital pharmacist working across two organisations. I work at the Austin um, within the haematology and oncology space and also at the Alfred on a casual basis. Um, I'm an early career pharmacist, quite fresh. This is my second year as a registered pharmacist. Um, I interned at the Royal Hobart um, and graduated out of Griffith University. Um, a little bit more about myself, I am quite involved uh, with the profession. Um, I am on the PSA ECP group um, or more recently uh, transformed into the ECP CSI, so I'm quite involved with them. Um, even within the Austin, I'm involved in their CE committee and their social club. So just someone who likes to be involved and keep myself busy. Um, outside of work, I really enjoy staying active, whether it be playing netball or um, dancing. So, yeah, always very active, involved and like to have my um, hands in a lot of different things. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. I thought I might start by congratulating you on your award that you won. Well, this was it this year. It was end of last year, end I think. Year. Yes, okay, yes. <laughs> so I thought I'd find out a little bit more about what you undertook um, mm. to receive that award and. Yeah, just yeah. to inspire some of our audience. Of course. Thank you. Well, first and foremost, that award was as much of a surprise to me as probably um, the rest of the people in that audience. But yeah, look, I think a big part of that award was, uh, again, me just being so involved, um, having been through the ECP VIC committee, um, just sort of taking on a bit of a leadership role in that and putting my hand up for a bunch of things. I think Isa, uh, who was the one who nominated me, really just saw potential um, from there onwards. And I think also just my ability to not be able to say no, um, you know, any opportunity that is presented to me, I tend to take it um, without really thinking about the benefit until I can see it sort of longer down the track. Um, I think in terms of the attributes that got me that award, um, I've done a little bit of upskilling in my early years of being an ECP. Um, at the Alfred, for example, I've undertaken some nicotine replacement therapy credentialing, which essentially allows me to assess patients for their level of nicotine dependence and then be able to chart nicotine therapy as appropriate. Um, I've also undertaken some therapeutic drug monitoring credentialing. So similarly, um, being able to assess, review and chart um, vancomycin and aminoglycosides. Um, I did start doing the GP foundation training that the PSA was offering. Um, again, just because the role of pharmacists are so versatile and I think that's been a huge insight for me as an ECP, um, trying different things to 
try and find where I fit. And I think at the moment I fit in hospital and I really enjoy that role and that space and the opportunity to grow there. Um, but also upskilling in areas outside of that just to keep my options open and to keep me motivated essentially because I think like any role in pharmacy, whether it's in hospital and community or wherever else, you do tend to get into this routine of, you know, the same things every day. And so, yeah, I think a big part of that award for me was just um, trying new things and focusing on what I do enjoy and what I'm passionate about and and then, yeah, I got that award. So I was very, very humbled and very happy to receive it. Um, and I think a big part of my um, gratitude for that award was just to show that by staying involved and keeping motivated and on top of why you like what you do, um, it makes a difference and people can see that. Thank you. Yeah. So it does sound like you have your finger in a few pies, <laughs> yes, in like the yeah. variety. So yeah. maybe you can tell me a little bit about um, the positions that you've had mm. over the time to to see what's led you to where you are now. Yeah, yep. So I think it all began um, when I was a student. Um, I didn't. I wasn't actually so involved in my first year. I thought, oh, it's my first year of uni. I want to focus on my studies and um, you know save the extracurricular for for later. And then an opportunity came up to join the local student pharmacy clubs. At the time I was um, here at Monash and I joined the Victorian Pharmacy Student Association or VPSA. Um, A lot of my friends at the time were also part of the committee. So, you know, it almost became more of a social thing. Um, And I joined that committee as a merchandise officer. So again, just something to to let my creative side out and um, help the students, you know, with merchandise like shirts and bottles and all of those things that you want at uni um and then from there I just decided that I really enjoyed being part of that committee experience and I could see that there was a lot of work being done behind the scenes that was helping the students um which I really enjoyed so I continued on that journey and I sort of um progressed to being a treasurer of that committee and then I got involved with NAPSA um, by becoming a NAPSA liaison officer, later on to become on the board of NAPSA and then president as well. So just sort of, you know, um, up the ranks, if you will, but just because I continued to enjoy that experience and meeting new people and being inspired by, you know, people like Sam Turner and Lauren Hayworth. And um, those are the people you look up to at that time and even now. And you see that they've been through NAPSA and you think, well, this must be the catalyst that you know, sprung them to where they are today. Um, and NAPSA was really good for me, I think. It, it allowed me to form those networks, not only with students, but also with the profession more widely. Um, people like Taryn Gill and Debbie Rigby, people that I probably wouldn't have met if I wasn't involved um, with NAPSA. Um, and then once I graduated I um, in Tasmania, which is where I interned, I continued my connections with the PSA and sat on their PSA ECP committee. Um, Also involved with SHPA, um, which is the hospital um, pharmacists membership base. Um, And then, yeah, came back to Melbourne and decided I continued, you know, wanted to continue being involved. Um, And it helps because those the connections that I have with PSA are connections that I've had since I was a student. So it really just made sense to continue and 
and continue to share my voice um, because I think as an ACP, our voice is so valuable and so imperative to shaping what the future looks like for us because we are the future and the decisions we make now, the succession planning we do now, that's going to be what the industry looks like for us in the future. So, yeah, that's kind of been my growth and my involvement from a committee point of view. Thank you. Um, I wanted to find out a little bit more about the ECP CSI you were yes, just mentioning. Yes, definitely. So the ECP CSI or Communities of Specialty Interest is a new initiative that the PSA have brought out um, last year. And essentially what it is is it's a national forum where it's bringing all the ECPs together from each of the states and allowing the ECPs to chat together on one one forum, one um, space. Because previously, so I mentioned the involvement with the VIC and TAS ECP committees, they were all state-based. Um, and that can be good. That can be good for, you know, intimate discussions and talking about state-based issues that might be um, on the surface. But I think having this national database if you will just allows everyone to be on the same page it allows there to be consistency so that one state is not doing more than another Um, or if one state was doing something really good that maybe another state didn't have the resources for it just means that there is a bit of a divide there so I think having um, the CSI means that everyone has a chance to speak up and share their ideas And I think it also means that the action can happen a lot quicker and a lot more streamlined because now there is a central process for going to the heads of PSA. Um, And so if you want to make change and see change and have impact, I think having the CSI as a national forum is really important. And I know that it is different because we're so used to having our state-based groups and being able to meet up face-to-face now that, you know, COVID has allowed us to. Um, And I still think that that's important to have and that will continue to happen. Um, But just now it can be in a more informal social setting where you're still talking about ideas and things that you want to improve on, but you can now take that back to a national level and actually see some impact and some policy change. So I think it's been really good. It's been a good way to just see what everyone else is up to and what other states are dealing with in terms of um, issues in pharmacy and how we can help each other out. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been really nice. And, and, again, those local gatherings have still been allowed to happen um, just in a much more informal and social way, which I think people have appreciated, especially people who aren't so – comfortable or confident to speak up in a larger group or in a meeting you know boardroom style environment um so it's a great way to cater for everyone i think so what i might find out for so since you have these groups so Mm. the state-based ones and the national ones and obviously times have really changed Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and there's a lot going on in pharmacy Mm -hmm. what are some of the issues that people or challenges that pharmacists are facing now yeah look i think A lot of the issues that I hear about are not new ones. They are issues that I've been hearing um, throughout my career, really. It's that classic overworked, underpaid scenario, Um, especially through COVID. I think it's really become apparent that pharmacists are exhausted, we're burnt out. um, We're feeling the pressure to provide for our patients, but almost at the expense of our own 
um, mental health or, or, you know, self-care almost because we're constantly putting ourselves on the front line and in the spotlight. And I think um, from a hospital point of view as well, we've had a lot of policy changes and having to adapt to how we work to fit the landscape that we're in or we were in during, you know, peak COVID. Simple things like having to wear PPE all the time, not being able to sit in the tea room because it's at capacity, um, you know, having isolated rooms that if you choose to go into, you have to gown up more so. Um, I know the Austin introduced a telehealth service. So things like that that had to happen rapidly um, and sort of on a day-to-day basis, things were changing. Um, I think pharmacists are also struggling with that identity for themselves, where they fit within the healthcare system more broadly. Um, they're feeling undervalued, under-recognized. I think pharmacists are one of those people that – or professions, I should say, that are often thankless. We sort of go um, under the radar a little bit, although we do so much for our patients. And I think the um, perceived lack of career advancement and lack of financial equity um, is a big issue that that pharmacists raise quite a lot of. Um, And I know that that's not an easy fix, Um, I think one of the things I've noticed is that sometimes a reward doesn't necessarily have to be financial. It could be, you know, um, praise from a colleague. It could be um, genuine gratitude from a patient. It could be a doctor, you know, uh, listening to your recommendation and taking it on board. Those little things that happen throughout the day give me that reward and give me that job satisfaction. Um, and so as much as the finances are what's going to keep us going in terms of, you know, um, work, uh, work, um, or I should say, um, you know, the cost of living is increasing. So we're needing that wage increase to help us with life things. But, you know, in the interim, I think finding those little things in your day that give you reward and give you that sense of this is why I do what I do, because I like to help people. Um, and I like to make a difference, a positive difference. I think for me, those have been helpful to get through the pandemic without burning out and, and you know, feeling too overwhelmed. Um, yeah, so I think those are sort of the main issues that I'm hearing within ECPs. Um, I think even just reminding ECPs to find or remember, or remind themselves why they chose pharmacy in the first place and remembering to find those things in their work day to day. I talked earlier about how sometimes things can get repetitive. You know, your day to day tasks can get repetitive in a pharmacy or in a pharmacy department. Um, so finding those things that that make you happy to do what you do, you know, taking extra time with a patient um, doing a little bit of extra research, upskilling in an area that you're passionate about. There are so many avenues and so many resources available now. Um, Yeah, that would be my advice to try and, you know, not fix the solution, but um, deal with what we've got at the present time. So have there been some challenges that you've heard of or that you've been able to find solutions for that you can think of? Um, I think in terms of the um, the identity part of the issue where where it's you know it's about finding a job that you get satisfaction from but that's also challenging and you also feel like you're part of a team 
I think for my role in particular, um, I've really felt the the benefit of interprofessional collaboration. I think essentially what what that is is it's different health um, disciplines coming together with their ideas, creating a solution um, which is going to optimize patient health outcomes at the end of the day. And I think having that in the environment where I work, where I'm constantly working with doctors, constantly talking to them about, you know, why they've chosen a particular therapy or they'll come to you and say, what's the best thing for, for this patient? Um, even nursing staff and, and our allied health more broadly, you know, physiotherapists, speech pathologists, um, that, that sense of being a team that gives me that identity that I fit because I do get approached by these people. It's not me constantly having to go to them and we all work together for the same reason, which is to help the patient at hand. And so I think that interprofessional collaboration has really helped me feel valued, um, which comes back to that reward where a doctor will say thank you or a doctor will write in his note or her note, um, you know, pharmacist kindly reviewed, have taken on board, like little things like that. And I know in some settings, pharmacists don't have the same interaction with their doctors. Um, so I think it's just about building that, you know, interprofessional um, and optimizing that relationship and just advocating for yourself and, and showing um, the other health professions that this is what we do this is what we're experts in which is medicines and medication management um, and I think that the the value and the recognition will follow especially with the young doctors coming through I think they really appreciate pharmacy as well because we're helping them essentially we're helping them be safe and we're helping them pick the best therapy which takes a load off of them so they can focus on what they're really good at which is diagnostics and um, those sorts of things. So yeah, that's really helped me. Um, I hope it can help others, but unfortunately there's no one size fits all and there's no, you know, answer to everything, but it's a step and it's a work in progress. And I think also focusing on how far we have come as a profession and yes, there is so much more room for growth and improvement, but we have come a long way and COVID is horrible as that was really did put that, um, into the spotlight. So yeah. So I'd say there's been a bit of a discussion about people leaving the profession or people mm. being attracted to the profession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that COVID has, yes, a, applied additional pressure, yes. but what have you seen with regards to that and ECPs and their thoughts about it? Yeah, I think definitely ECPs um, leave the profession and I think just from some recent examples that I can think of, whether it's leaving to go do medicine or leaving to go do something, you know, non-health entirely. Um, I think the reason for leaving, or at least the reasons that I've heard, um, again, come down to the low wage, you know, poor working conditions scenario. And I think COVID really put a damper on the working conditions because it meant that nothing was predictable, nothing was... I guess, normal for, for, you know, lack of a better word. Um, there was uncertainty as well, you know, where is the boundary for what we can do? Um, you know, at what point do we have to say that we, we have no more oomph left in us, you know? And I think um, being able to take on the responsibility of vaccinating, for example, was really good. But in the same token, 
pharmacists were so bogged down by vaccinating that they really didn't have enough time or energy to do their other tasks, which are just as important. And that's not sustainable. So I think a lot of people left thinking that that's just going to burn them out down the track. Um, And I guess people being attracted to the profession, I think pharmacy as a profession is very flexible. Um, If we look at, you know, our work hours are often nine to five. Um, We can, you know, clock on at nine, clock off at five and, and for the most part not have to be on call or not have to think about work. Um, I think it's also very flexible in terms of you can work part-time, you can work in a whole variety of environments, whether it be community, hospital, um, in government organisations, whether it's in research, in teaching, in governance. It's so versatile and I think that's a key thing because as a student you're sort of just taught hospital and community. Your two avenues and realising that there is so much more um i think that's an attractive quality that pharmacy has and the fact that every day can be different even though you've got those mundane tasks that you do every day you can make each day different and each patient is different as well that's the beauty of healthcare. each patient is different you treat them as an individual um so, yeah, it's also, also attractive in terms of um, for women who want to start a family, there's that flexibility to, to go part-time or to transition into a role that is less clinical maybe so they've got more, you know, flexibility to take some time off. Um, so there's plenty to be attracted to um, and then there's always going to be some negatives but I think the balance there is that pharmacy is a great profession I think we we really are valuable and and we have a unique set of skills that we spend four years learning Um, and that really does come into play especially when you're working with other health disciplines and you realize that what you know is unique to a pharmacist thank you so I'd say that I know a bit more about how community pharmacy Mm -hmm, has adapted mm -hmm. through COVID. So what are some of the things you've seen in hospital pharmacy that I guess some have just been short-term just to manage the short-term uncertainty with COVID, Mm -hmm, but some have been mm -hmm. more long-term changes. Can you share some of those and what's happening? Of course. I think, um, yeah, like I mentioned earlier with the telehealth that Austin did, and I'm sure a lot of our hospitals would have done the same, Um, where doctors could actually write scripts from home and then it would print out um, at the pharmacy in the hospital. So that sort of remote prescribing, if you like, um, we implemented during COVID. We also implemented a postal service where we could post um, drugs out to patients um, and then telehealth in terms of if patients were COVID suspected or covid positive are confirmed the pharmacist who needed to counsel them on their medicines or conduct a medication history um, on admission could do so via phone or via video conference as well so having all of these um, resources kind of already there in the first place but never utilized as such um, was a huge breakthrough because it just saved a time but also kept both the pharmacist and the patient safe. Um, It also meant that the workflow um, was smooth. um, And like you said, those were implemented during COVID, but we're still doing them. We're still 
um, conducting admissions via phone if we need to, if if patients are isolated in a room, even for not COVID conditions. Um, we're continuing postal delivery of medicines if needed. Um, and it's about actually keeping that momentum because we've also seen um, more rapid change to translate things into electronic forms, whether it be your um, you know, medication history before it used to be on paper. We quickly transitioned to our electronic medical record. Um, using my health record, for example, that's been, I think, a lot more frequent and a lot more widely accepted as a streamlined central place for patients' records. Um, I think being in a digital age, using technology to our advantage is is crucial because it's so accessible and um yeah that there's it only helps the pharmacist really it's it's an aid if used correctly so i think all of those things although they were adaptations and people at the beginning might have been a bit apprehensive as to how this is going to change the workflow i think it being used even after covid has really just streamlined work processes and made things a lot easier um, and that way we can actually focus on the clinical stuff. We don't have to worry about the more admin things that can be done now electronically. So since your career has been very exciting <laughs> and people have been very intrigued, right, I yes. guess I'd ask what might be next for you. Yes. Well, look, um, I think because I have done so many different things up until now, I'm really quite happy with where I'm at. Um, so... At the Austin, I work in the hematology and medical oncology service, um, and that in itself is so versatile for me. Like sometimes I'm making chemotherapy in the cytotoxic suite, sometimes I'm on the ward, um, sometimes I'm in outpatient services. So that role in itself is quite varied, and it, there's so much learning in that space clinically for me at this time. So I'm happy where I'm at. I don't think I see myself changing from that um, in the immediate future. Um, but I'm also someone who gets bored very easily, and so I'm always looking for my next adventure. And I think um, I don't really have a, a future plan or a what's next, but I'll just continue um, doing what I love and continue following my passion, continuing to just take every opportunity that comes my way um, and see where it takes me, essentially. <laughs> Onwards and upwards, as they say. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any thoughts, comments or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP website forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please follow us on Twitter at AJP Podcast and send us a message.